to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This passage opens, Paul is talking about the times and the circumstances that end up resulting in the birth of Jesus. And you might not think of Galatians as a Christmas passage. It's like somebody is looking back and telling the story of the birth of their children. And they're they're reminiscing about it as they go through Galatians. I remember when Marcy was pregnant with Grace. I don't know if anybody can identify with this, but we used to drive back and forth to Kimball Hospital at every single hour of the day, because if you've ever driven by Kimball Hospital, you know that it's special driving over there. So we wanted to find out exactly how long it would take if she went into labor at any given time during the day or during the week. So we figured that at best, I could get from Point Pleasant to Kimball Hospital in about 11 minutes. I think that was my personal record. Will not comment on how I was obeying the speed laws. Um, But sometimes it's fun to look back at the circumstances that attend and surround our children's birth. And that's what Paul's doing here in Galatians with the Christmas story. He's looking at the Christmas story and he says, there was this time where Christ was born of a woman. And he's not doing it like the writers of the Gospels. What he's giving you is a theological understanding of what took place on that first Christmas morning. And he's trying to drive home to the Galatians that the whole Christmas story is just a fireworks display of God's love for his people. And it says that Christmas came, according to verse 4, in the fullness of time. What does he mean that it came in the fullness of of time. This is, this is so cool. It's one of the coolest verses in the Bible pertaining to Christmas. He's basically saying that Christmas could not have happened any other way than exactly the way that God had scripted it. There's too many things for it to just happen or for it to be coincidental or just fall into place. Jesus just happened. I'm just going to give you a few. Jesus just happened to be born while there was a census going on that made him return to his hometown of Bethlehem so that he could be a fulfillment of Micah 5.2. Mary and Joseph just happened to return to the town when all of the rooms at the inn just happened to be booked up by the people returning from a census that just happened to be taking place. And that made his birth be one that identified with the lowly, the moment that Christ entered the world, a theme that is repeated throughout the Gospels, rejected by the religious and embraced by all pilgrims who have ever called upon his name. Jesus just happened to be born under a time which was known as Pax Romana, a time where Rome had taken the entire known world and the greatest king on earth had just proclaimed that he was Lord and there was no other name under heaven other than Caesar by which man might be saved. Does that sound like something that we read in our Bibles, friends? And he just happened to use that time to show what a true Lord that we call upon truly is. He just happened to be born 
during the first time in history where there was a known road system so that the message of this newborn king could travel throughout the entire empire. He just happened to be born when there was one common language surrounding the entire empire so that the word of him could be able to spread across multiple cultures and that his written word would be able to be given to us so that we could read about it centuries and centuries later. Jesus just happened to be born when Israel was in close alliance with the Roman Empire, allowing for his, his rejection, arrest, betrayal, and destruction so that he could be the atonement for our sins. And he just happened to be born at the only time in history when crucifixion was used as a way of executing criminals to fulfill the prophecies that were spoken hundreds of years before crucifixion even existed. And I could keep going, but what it means is that this baby was born in the fullness of time, the only time that each of those things could be intimately fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ. All of history had been orchestrated to lead up to this one perfect moment where the Christ would be born, and no one could honestly look at all of that data and be able to conclude that this was just a series of coincidences. I don't know where everybody stands here with Jesus this morning, but I know that I looked at the Bible as if it was a good book. It had some decent lessons in it, but when you unpack just the eight that I gave you, it is impossible for somebody to coincidentally fulfill each of those lessons. The fullness of time means that God had been waiting and orchestrating all of history to lead up to the moment where we could be able to be here and worship a Savior who was born in a manger in a field 2,000 years ago. So when the time was right, it says that God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. God the Father waited until the circumstances could not have been more perfect for us. Get this. This is the thought that I really just want to drive home to you this Christmas. He waited until the timing could not have been more perfect for us and less ideal for his son. That's how much the Father loves you. That's the expression of love that we see this Christmas. At any other time in history, some rabbi who was born to a poor, unknown family in a country the same square mileage of New Jersey would not have been something that would have even been noticed by the Roman Empire. But God chose that this time would be perfect for us. I mean, think about it. There are a bunch of people 2,000 years later sitting in an auditorium in Tom's River, New Jersey. What does that have to do with Jewish people in the ancient Middle East? But like any father... God wanted the whole world to know about the birth of his baby boy. So he wanted, he waited until just the right time when the message of his son would be able to go throughout the whole world. And it's something that we're still here, joining with nation after nation, tribe and tongue throughout the world, still celebrating 2,000 years later. Yet as ideal as the timing was for us, it could not have been less perfect for his son. So why would he do that? Because God wanted to give the ultimate gift, the ultimate expression to show his deep love for you. I don't know how everybody here feels about Billy Graham. I mean, usually you throw out any name in a group of Christians and somebody's going to bicker about something. But the one thing that that guy has just stood rock firm on 
is telling people the message that God loves you. And that's something that we should never, ever get tired of hearing. I don't care if you've been hearing it since you were three years old. Who could ever get tired of the fact that the God of the universe is crazy about you? And the Son loved you so much that he came into the world knowing that he would have to endure the cross. But it says in Hebrews that he did it joyfully. The triune God loves you so much that they figured out a rescue plan and concocted a way to be able to bring you back and reconcile you to the Father before you even had an opportunity to transgress against them. And the Lamb of God determined that he was willing to be slain even before the foundation of the world. And the rest of the chapter simply explains how deep the Father's love for us and what he demonstrated through the Son on Christmas morning. Let me read it again. Go back to verse 4 towards the end. It says, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under a law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because your sons... God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He was born under the same law that was a curse to every single person in this room. So, you know all those times that you felt guilty for messing up. Anybody ever feel that? Anybody feel it recently where you, you just blew it? And you know, man, I, I have this besetting feeling of guilt that I don't know what to do with. Or any shame that you felt that you carry around with you. Or any accusations that you've had to deal with that were unfair, that were levied against you. And you didn't deserve them, but you still feel the sting of those accusations. Well, Christ was born under the law to stand in the gap for all of those who would fall short of it. That's why he was born at that specific time. He fulfilled the law because you could not. And he not only took upon the cross your sin, he took all of your guilt and your shame so that you would not have to walk in it and so that you could honestly say, there is no shame in my game because I am a child of the king. He took the rod of God's justice so all that we would know would be the blows of God's grace. Jesus did not just come to fulfill the law, though. This is the final point I really want to drive home to us. It says that he redeemed us from the law in verse 5. This is without a doubt the most beautiful word in the Greek language, and we have no English equivalent for it, the word anagarazo. Um, in ancient Greek, what this word meant was to go into the marketplace and to purchase somebody out of the place of slavery so that you could take a slave and be able to give them to a new master. And what that word began to mean over the years was to purchase somebody out of the market of slavery so that that slave could be set free. Think about that. It's beautiful, and it's just shot through with gospel implications because when somebody was purchased out of the market of slavery... They were bought by a new master, but historically, they had to be their slave now. I read an illustration that brought this love deep home, and this brought tears to my eyes. There's a group, has anybody ever heard of a group called Christian Solidarity, uh, Solidarity International? They're in the southern Sudan. 
and they're doing tremendous things, but they're in a place where there is just active slave trade going throughout Africa, an estimated 200,000 people being actively sold into slavery. And what this group does is they raise money and they go into the marketplace and they purchase people out of slavery so that they can set them free and make them free men so that they can train them to go and free others out of the marketplace of slavery and purchase their freedom. And their ultimate goal, if you read their mission statement on their website, is we exist to abolish slavery worldwide all together. Is that a beautiful ministry or what? That's the best example that I could come up with. But it still falls short of what Paul uses when he uses that same word redeem to talk about how Jesus was born into the world. Because look, Jesus, as beautiful as their ministry is, Jesus didn't raise money from supporters so that he could go and buy people from the market of slavery. He put himself forth as the collateral to be able to purchase your freedom. And he doesn't just train you not to return into slavery. He takes you from being a slave of sin yourself. And according to Romans chapter 6, you're no longer a slave to sin, but we're slaves of righteousness because of what Christ has accomplished. So he takes the shackles of bondage and he replaces them with pure, lovely, unadulterated freedom. Amen? But his love doesn't stop there. It says that he didn't just redeem us. It then gives another beautiful word. It says that he's gone on to adopt us as sons and daughters. And I wish Christians spent more time just wrapping their minds around the theological concepts of adoption and the love of God that was demonstrated through it. I, I looked at the popular books and some of the popular teachings, and it's all centered on Christian lessons about how you can be a better you. And the love of God is something that's mentioned in passing, but it becomes less and less tangible the way uh, the more humanistic Christianity becomes. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is not the message of how you can leave here to go and be a better you. It's not the message like I see on the New York Times bestseller of how the gospel frees us to live every day like it's Friday. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ was born into the world because he had a heart for orphans that was absolutely undescribable. And you know what? It is a joy having people with such heart for orphans here this morning as I think about this truth. Um, may we lift them up in prayer when we go to prayer here in a moment. But he, was, he picked the most rebellious, non-lovable orphans Newsflash, that's who you are this morning. He picked the most rebellious, non-lovable orphans, and he adopted them into his family so that he could give you a new name, child of the king, and love you forever and ever so that you no longer had to feel alienated and like an orphan in this world, but so that you could know the love that we were created for to walk in harmony and relationship with the only father that is perfect. We refer to this love, I'm going to give you a fancy word here, we refer to it as monergism, which is the Latin word for one way, meaning that you didn't choose to be adopted. You didn't go into the marketplace and say, pick me, Lord, I, I, I want to be adopted. He chose to adopt you because he wanted to put his stamp on you because he's madly in love with you. That's the way the love of God works. 
It's beautiful. Yet the overwhelming amount of messages you hear is about all the things that you need to do in order to be lovable by God. And that's why people feel as if their relationship with God is something that wavers based on how lovable they are at the moment. That's not the gospel. God's love for you is never based on what you had to bring to the table because you could never bring enough to the table to make you lovable by God. People base their Christianity more or less off their ability or inability to love or be loved rather than the unshakable, unchangeable, relentless love of Christ. No wonder why people think that they go up and down and they feel like God goes like this yo-yo relationship of being near to them and far from them. Listen, the good news that we celebrate on Christmas is that God came to earth, born of a woman, and he wanted to adopt you into his family. You're not some unwanted second-class child who sits here this morning. He adopted you because he set his mark on you, because he's in love you. And you know what? There's an old Jimmy Swaggart movie. I mean, not, no, not Jimmy. Wonderful Life guy. What's his name? I just quoted Jimmy Swaggart from the pulpit. Don't record this. All right, well, now that I'm quoting Jimmy Swaggart, I might as well go for it. No, um, there's a Jimmy Stewart movie where he's asking for the father's hand in marriage, and he's, the father says, do you, do you like him? And uh, he says, yeah, I, I love your daughter. And he says, I didn't ask that. I, I asked whether you like her. Jesus doesn't just love you with this begrudging love, like, well, I paid the price for him, so I might as well love him because I have nothing else to do. Jesus, Jesus likes you. That's the good news. Jesus thinks you're really awesome. If you don't believe me, go read Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, if you want a devotion when you leave here. That's probably the reality that took the longest for me to be able to understand in the gospel. You know, when it says that we have peace with God in Romans chapter 4 through Christ Jesus, I always thought that peace meant a ceasefire. It doesn't just mean that he put down his weapons, but he's got his hand cocked just waiting for you to do something stupid. It means that his hands are like this, and they're wide open to embrace you as his child. He didn't just adopt you because he loves you, as if that wouldn't be enough. He also likes you, and guess what? No matter what you do, if you are the child's king, he never regrets coming to the earth in the fullness of time, being born of a woman to adopt you into his family. And lastly, it says that after he adopted us, he gave us the most amazing Christmas present that we could have. He says he redeemed you, adopted you, and then he placed his spirit in your heart as the ultimate gift. He claimed you as his own. He gave you the greatest gift that he could give you. He put his spirit in your heart. And now we have this spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, which in the Greek just means Daddy, Daddy. That's what we celebrate today. He adopted you to show you how much he loves you, and then he put a spirit in your heart that would make you continually be connected to his love even when you don't feel lovable and even when you don't feel like loving. What a gift, amen? So the spirit, as it considers God and his great love, echoes back on our behalf, my daddy, my daddy. And that's our job. 
Our job is to just echo back what the Spirit has already done because of what Christ has already begun. He's done it all. His love is full. Our job is not to manifest love. Our job is to echo back the love that He's already placed in our hearts. Can you think of a greater gift? Can you think of a a greater gift than the adoption of sons and daughters and a spirit that confirms that adoption and cries out to him, Abba, Father. So as we close, and I open it up to give you guys an opportunity to be able to just pray and give thanksgiving. We're a small crowd. You don't have to come up to the mic. You can just stand right where you're at. I just want to remind you that you don't have to drum up affections for God because he has put a spirit that longs out the call to him in affection. It's there already. So stir up those affections as we consider these great gospel truths. And let the affections run deep as we cry out with a spirit that says we are loved. A spirit that cries out with a collective voice, Abba Father. So I'm going to pray and uh, I'll ask Pastor Tim to open us. Anybody who wants to pray, praise the Spirit, uh, feel led, and then we'll close us in song. We're not going to be taking an offering today. There's an offering box in the back for anybody who feels led to worship in that way. Um, I just want to close out with prayer and with singing. God, thank you so much for your Spirit that has cried out in adoption, Abba, Father. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans in this world, but you have adopted us as sons and as daughters. Jesus, we thank you so much for the privilege and honor it is to be your children this morning. In Jesus' name.